taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test You know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known of all men. The Lord is near. Be careful about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every understanding, shall guard your hearts and your thoughts by Christ Jesus. Yo, what's good, everybody? It is great to be able to be with you all today on our third installment of our series, Foundations of the Faith. Today, we are talking about prayer. We are talking about prayer. So I look forward to being able to jump into uh, into the Word of God with you all in just a moment. Um, shout out to everybody that has been sharing the streams, that has been connecting other people um, to this stuff. This is one of those series where people have, people who have questions about some of the basics of Christianity, whether they are new to the faith or have been a part of it for a while, but just have questions around like, who is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit? What is salvation? What does it mean for a person to be saved? Um, things like what is what is prayer and how does one pray? And uh, what can we expect when we pray? Those are all things that we've been tackling during this series. If you've missed any of it, make sure that you go check out our YouTube channel. And when you get there, go subscribe to it so that you can stay up to date on all of the things that we put out. I want to wish uh, a posthumous happy birthday uh, to Malcolm X, who would have been 96 years old on the 19th of May. And so celebrating him today as well. Let's jump straight into this. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through... Um, Verses 1 through 17. Verses 1 through 17. Uh, I'm going to bow in a quick word of prayer and then we'll jump right in. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much um, for all that has already gone forth in this service. Lord, I thank you for giving us this chance to come together. I pray that you will speak through me to these, your people, in a way that is real and relevant to them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1. At that time, King Herod caused terrible suffering for some members of the church. He ordered soldiers to cut off the head of James, the brother of John. When Herod saw that this pleased the Jewish people, he had Peter arrested during the festival of thin bread. He put Peter in jail and ordered four squads of soldiers to guard him. Herod planned to put him on trial in public after the festival. While Peter was being kept in jail, the church never stopped, watch this, praying to God for him. The night before Peter was to be put on trial, he was asleep and bound by two chains. A soldier was guarding him on each side and two other soldiers were guarding the entrance to the jail. Suddenly, an angel from the Lord appeared and light flashed around the cell. The angel poked Peter in the side and woke him up. Then he said, quick, get up. The chains fell off his hands and the angel said, get dressed and put on your sandals. Peter did what he was told. Then the angel said, now put on your coat and follow me. 
Peter left with the angel, but he thought everything was only a dream. They went past the two groups of soldiers, and when they came to the iron came to the iron gate to the city, it opened by itself. They went out and were going along the street when all at once the angel disappeared. Peter now realized what had happened, and he said, I'm certain that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod and from everything the Jewish leaders planned to do to me. Then Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Many of the Lord's followers had come together there and were praying. Almost there. Verse 13 says, Peter knocked on the gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. When she heard Peter's voice, she was too excited to open the gate. She ran back into the house and said that Peter was standing there. You are crazy, everyone told her. But she kept saying that it was Peter. Then they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking until finally they opened the gate. They saw him and were completely amazed. Peter motioned for them to keep quiet. Then he told how the Lord had led him out of jail. He also said, tell James and the others what has happened. After that, he left and went somewhere else. The word of God for the people of God. When I was in, when I was a freshman in high school, I went to summer camp at the high school to play football. I was at the time about five foot five inches and about 130 pounds soaking wet. I wanted to be a running back because I had watched the movie, The Program, where Omar Epps was a running back. And inspired by that movie and Omar Epps' swagger, that was enough for me to decide that I wanted to be a running back. About After about a half day of working out with the rest of the freshmen who were interested in football, some of whom had been playing football in like little football uh, leagues and, and Pop Warner leagues most of their childhood, after playing about a half a day with those kids, the coaches wisely switched me from running back to kickoff return. I stayed on the football team for about a week before I quit to focus on basketball. The main reason was this. Football is a full contact sport, which is very different from my favorite sport, basketball, right? And I realized that as much as I love basketball, there was a good chance that an injury in football could keep me from playing basketball on the team that year. Yeah, these two sports were very different. While basketball was about speed and finesse, football was about hitting and in some cases hurting the opponent. Now, while the stated goal may have simply been the score, the primary thing on those 210-pound defensive linemen that were only 14 years old, the main thing on their mind was blowing up whoever had the football in their hands. It was a full-contact sport. Christianity... Being a part of this thing that we call the Jesus movement is actually more like football than basketball. It is a full contact sport. There has always and until the Lord binds Satan in the end of times, there will always be an enemy who is gunning for us. And while we may be able to operate as if it is a finesse game, in reality, this thing that we are living is a full contact sport and our common enemy, Satan, seeks to smash us. But the more I think about it, better yet, it's not just a full contact sport, it's actually war. 
uh, sports are for fun and games. You shake hands after the game is over in sports, no matter how fiercely you have competed against each other. No, this is something else. This is war that we are engaged with. Let's not be cute about it. Satan doesn't want to play with you. He doesn't want to outcompete you. Satan wants to kill you, kill me, the whole Jesus movement. But I heard our Lord Jesus say concerning the Jesus movement that was coming upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When I graduated high school, I joined the Army National Guard, and I remember that in basic training down in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, I learned to dig a foxhole. I also learned to maneuver through a field with simulated live fire. I learned how to dress a wound in the field. But of everything that I learned through those eight or nine weeks, the most important thing that I learned was how to fire the M16. All the other skills that they taught were great. Uh, All the other things were really valuable that they taught me. But the most important thing was when they taught me how to pick up that weapon, how to level it, how to put my target in sight and fire back at the enemy. I want to talk to y'all about prayer today. You know a lot about faith and you have learned much since you have been here at City Point or since you have been in church in general. But one of the most important lessons that you will ever need in your life, you will receive today. I am going to teach you how to fire your weapon. I'm going to teach you how to cock it back and let it ride. I'm going to teach you how to pray today. And what we will discover from the text is that today is that prayer is how the church shoots back at the enemy. We talk about prayer. Prayer is effectively how we communicate with God. Prayer is how we ask, how we think, how we vent, how we question God. Uh, Now, prayer is not a guarantee that we will receive what we have asked for. And when we pray, we should pray for things that are not clearly to us outside of the will of God. For instance, when we pray, we shouldn't pray that something bad happens to someone else so so that something good can happen to us. We should not pray that someone gets a divorce so we can have a shot at that person that they got divorced from. When we pray, we should pray also, we should pray with faith. In other words, believing that God is able to do that thing that we ask for. Also, one thing that we should know about prayer is that we should know that prayer, that our prayers don't have to be eloquent and they don't have to be impressive, that they don't have, they they don't even have to be off the dome, extemporaneous kinds of prayers, that they can be written down prayers, that they don't have to be vocalized. They can be said in the mind simply between oneself and God. Prayer is a very powerful thing. And so prayer is the subject of the text that we are looking at today. In Acts chapter 12, it opens up with King Herod Agrippa. It is now approximately 13 years since the church's formation. But 13 years since Jesus was crucified, 13 years since Jesus ascended back to heaven, 13 years since Jesus told his followers that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. 13 years since the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people were saved. It was a movement that had some fierce momentum by this time. Jews in Jerusalem have been converting to Christianity. 
But then Jews in Jerusalem have also been fighting Christianity. Along comes Herod Agrippa. He is the grandson of Herod the Great who killed all those babies when Jesus was first born. Along comes his grandson, Herod Agrippa, who has just been appointed by the Roman emperor as king over the whole region of Judea. Herod is known for being carnal when in the presence of Greeks, but pious when in the presence of Jews. It is this Herod Agrippa who is seeking to curry favor and acceptance from the Jews. So to do this, he started having Christians arrested. Luke says in Acts chapter 12, verse two, that one of them is the apostle James, the brother of John. Verse two says he had James executed with a sword. And when he saw how much it it pleased the Jews that he had murdered one of the church's leaders, he decided to double down and arrest Peter. He puts Peter in prison. It is during the Jewish high festival, so he couldn't try him or execute him until this, these festivals are over. And so to buy himself some time, he places Peter in prison and he doubles the security to ensure that Peter does not escape. The word says in verse four that Herod's intention was to bring him out for a public trial which really was just going to be a public spectacle before sentencing Peter to death as soon as the Passover was over. So here is the church. Here is this Jesus movement in a state of trauma. It is likely not safe for Christians on the streets. Herod is on a rampage. Jews are applauding his rage. James has been murdered by the government. They cut off his head. Other Christians have been arrested simply for being Christians. And now Peter, the leader of the church, this movement of tens of thousands is locked up and facing what appears to be another execution. The enemy is popping off shots here. The the, the enemy is bussing at the Jesus movement, trying to destroy the whole movement. My question to you today is what does the church do? How does the church respond? Verse five say that the way, says that the way that they fired back, the way that they shot back at the enemy who was shooting at them was that they prayed. And when you first look at it, it looks like a weak response. It, it looks like a passive response. But, but let me tell you that prayer is the most powerful response available in the world because prayer uses the power of God to fire back at every negative situation. Yeah, prayer effectively sicks God on our situation. And so the church community, they prayed. The night before Herod was bringing Peter to trial, while the church was praying, a miracle happened. An angel broke Peter's chains, led him past the guards, led him out of prison and out to the streets. Peter walked to Mark's mama's house where the members of the church community were together and they were praying. And and don't miss this, that it's nighttime. It, It is late enough for Peter to have been sleeping, but the community is together praying. Peter knocked on the gate. They they didn't believe that it was him when somebody heard him at the gate. And Peter kept on knocking and finally they let him in. And he told the story of how he was led out of prison by an angel. 
Peter is like, y'all tell the other James and John and the brothers what happened. I'm about to bounce because Herod is about to be looking for me. And we don't see Peter again for a few chapters, but Peter does leave some lessons behind for us from this text. The most powerful thing that he leaves behind is that prayer is the church's secret weapon. Prayer is the potent firepower of the people of the faith. Prayer is how the church shoots back at the enemy. Ephesians picks this same idea up. Ephesians says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer, prayer is how the church shoots back at the enemy. But before you shoot, you need to understand how to handle the weapon. You need to understand the rules of engagement that we've been given by God as the church. There are lessons on rules of engagement. If you allow me just for a few minutes, I want to walk you back through this story. The first thing that we need to, under, to do is we need to understand our opposition. I uh, can remember growing up, um, you would see some people uh, in the streets or maybe on the block where I grew up and and you might see them uh, and they look like they are boxing with each other and you begin to wonder, are they for real or are they real or are they play fighting? I hate to break it to y'all, but Satan does not play fight. Demons do not play fight. It is always for real. And and so the church understood their enemy. They understood that this was serious business. These arrests were not just some misunderstandings that would be straightened out in some legitimate courts after the feast. No, this, this was real. That they understood that Herod may have been behind this, but they knew that they were fighting actual spiritual opposition. They were fighting the schemes of Satan. And when he plays, He plays for keeps. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Like I said in the introduction, this is not for play. Satan is not engaging us for sports. This is real and he aims to take us out. I believe that if we understood the seriousness of evil, if we understood the depth depth of our opposition, we would understand the seriousness of prayer. I want you to consider this for a moment. God has mercy, but evil doesn't. Check out verses two and three. He ordered soldiers to cut off the head of James, the brother of John. When Herod saw that this pleased the Jews, he had Peter arrested during the festival of thin bread. Yeah, Herod had James's head cut off and then he stopped right there, right? No. He said, oh, y'all like that? The text says it pleased the Jews so then Herod decides let's go for another round. The reality is the appetite of evil is insatiable. His attacks are not just singular. They are an affront to the whole movement. So we need to understand our, in our opposition, first of all. The second thing that I see in the text that I think is important for us as we think about prayer, as we understand how to use prayer, is the second lesson is that we need to aggregate our ammunition. Now make no mistake about it, 
There is absolutely power in individual prayer. But may I suggest to you that there is exponential power when members of the church community come together and they pray together. What we see in Acts chapter 12 is that the church came together to pray in community. But many of the Lord's followers had come together there and they were praying. I was confounded by this. Why the need to come together to pray? What's the difference between coming together and praying and people just individually praying for Peter. I pondered this. I meditated on this. And I sensed that what the Lord gave me this revelation was that it is because the reason that it is better to pray together than individually is because you fight an army with an army. Yeah, the truth of the matter is you go up against Satan and his demonic forces with an army of your own. And when an army fights, the whole is greater than the sum of its individual parts. In Acts chapter 12, instead of individuals firing off their own shots back at the enemy, the whole army of the church came together. Yeah, they aggregated their ammunition. They ready, aimed, and fired directly at Satan and his demonic forces, at Herod, at the devilish schemes. They gathered together to pray. In Deuteronomy, we learned there about the exponential power that God provides. It says one can chase a thousand, but two can chase 10,000. There is power when the members of the community come together to pray. So what schemes of the enemy do we need to come together to pray about? Who is he attacking in our midst? Whose mind is under attack? Whose joy is under attack? Whose peace is under attack? Whose faith and belief in the Lord are under attack? The way that we load up and attack these is by coming together as a community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and praying. Don't let this be lost on you. In Acts chapter 12, Herod is going after church leaders. You want to devastate any movement, you go after its leaders. Come here, Marcus Garvey. Come here, Angela Davis. Come here, Fred Hampton. Come here, Malcolm X. Come here, Martin King. Come here, Asada Shakur. Come here, Black Lives Matter activists who have been illegally surveilled by the FBI. You want to destroy a movement, go after its leaders. You want to tear down a church, go after their pastor. You want to tear down City Point, go after me. And so may I throw in a shameless plug and ask and say that I need y'all praying for me. Last thing that I want to share with you that I see in the text is that I believe the text is saying to us that we need to persist with our petition. In verse five, it says, while Peter was being kept in jail, the church never stopped praying to God for him. It's been days It has been possibly weeks, possibly a week since Peter was arrested. But folks were still coming together and they were praying. It suggests this to me, that they prayed and the next day, Peter was still in prison. They prayed, they called on the name of the Lord and the next day, Peter is still in prison. They prayed, they cried out to God, they earnestly prayed, and the next day, Peter is still in prison. I love that they persisted in prayer. 
Brothers and sisters, what I have learned about prayer is that even though sometimes you don't hit with the first shot, you keep on firing. Some of you have been praying earnestly for something in your life and God has not done it yet. God has not fixed it yet. Praying for a relationship to get better, but it hasn't. Praying for a job to get better and it hasn't. Praying for a job and it hasn't come yet. Praying for health to get better, but it hasn't. Praying for a break in life, but it doesn't seem like you can get one. What do you do when you've prayed and nothing happens? I want to encourage you today that you do what the community of believers did in Acts chapter 12. They kept on firing. They kept on firing shots back at the enemy. They kept on persisting in their prayers so much so that the night God got busy and dispatched an angel to jail break Peter, the church was together at that very hour in the night still praying. They persisted in prayer. My brothers and sisters, perhaps God has not done it yet. Perhaps God has not fixed it yet. Perhaps you have yet to get the answer you've been seeking from God, but keep on persisting in prayer. They persisted and what they discovered was that although Herod was the king, Herod, the king of the Jews was against them, that God, the king of kings was for them. Romans 8 and 38 comes to mind where it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? They persisted in prayer and discovered that though Peter was bound by chains on each hand to a guard, God is stronger than those chains. But they persisted in prayer and discovered that though Peter was in prison, that God is stronger than any prison. That they persisted in prayer and discovered that though Peter was trapped behind prison gates, God is stronger than any gate. And that's a word of encouragement to somebody that is here today that is listening, that is connecting to us digitally today, that no matter what chains may be binding you today, no matter what prisons may cause you to feel trapped today, that God is stronger than anything that binds and anything that traps you. I want to close with this final uh, last quick illustration. I don't know how many of y'all remember the movie Harlem Nights. There is that famous scene, right, where, where they are shooting at quick. Eddie Murphy's character and Arsenio Hall's character and their gang are shooting at Quick and they come out and and Quick has jumped in through the window into this store and they are blasting at him through the storefront. They've got their Tommy guns, they've got their machine guns and they are shooting at him. And then there is this comedic part of the scene where one person that is a part of the gang, after all of the one person that stands there with his um, revolver and shoots one shot, is again, they and then the one person with the revolver, and then they again, and the one person with the revolver, May I suggest to you that for those of us who are not tapping into the power of collective communal prayer, we are effectively that one that Arsenio Hall's character turns to and says, 
Stop shooting that little... You all, y'all fill in the blank. He's shooting that little gun that is not as effective as shooting with the chorus of community that's shooting together. Right, that machine gun fire, that firing in concert together, that is where the true power lied. And that is an example of what it looks like. The people of God come together collectively to pray. That is prayer. That is prayer.